Welcome to the show, folks. It is Wednesday. I am David Hansen, continuing our interview series for the week. We have Taylor Muckerman sitting down with Jeff Miller, who is the COO of Halliburton. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, fools. Taylor Muckerman here with the Chief Operating Officer of Halliburton, Jeff Miller. Jeff, thanks for stopping by and, and taking the time to speak with us today. I know you're busy with the Offshore Technology Conference here in Houston. Not the biggest news uh, with the first round in the draft, Houston coming up, but uh, about 100,000 people here to talk about deep water and offshore industry, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about your time here with Halliburton and what you've seen change over the last several years. I know you've had multiple different positions and now arriving at the Chief Operating Officer. Yeah, well, thanks, Taylor. Yeah, I've been with Halliburton about 17 years, and, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of change with Halliburton, particularly the growth of our business over that period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we've entered new markets around the world. Uh, really, the, the uptake in sort of the frack business over that time has been tremendous. But a couple things have stayed consistent through that time as well. Okay. And the first is just the execution culture at Halliburton, which attracted me in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And... Then secondly, you know, we operate a lot like a family around Halliburton, and I say that in all respects. I mean, we work hard, uh, we work well together. Sometimes we argue, but in the end, we always come out with sure. you know a collective answer. Okay, and then uh, I mean, you talk about fracking, and that's where you guys got your start about 65 years ago, uh, first frack ever in the United States officially, but. One of the key tenants that you guys are focusing on is mature fields, and that's an area that uh, most people might not associate directly with Halliburton because of the fracking, but that's one of your three key tenants, and I think it's a vitally important area because about 20 to 40 percent only recoverable oil out of these wells, and so you can go in and use some uh, EOR, enhanced oil recovery methods, and if you want to talk about some of the things that Halliburton's doing to help enhance the recovery from these mature fields, uh, especially in the United States right now. Certainly. The, uh, and the reason we're interested in mature fields is because they're fast growing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a segment of the market where uh, about 60% of the fields in the world are mature today. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, creates a tremendous opportunity for Halliburton. The other thing that we're seeing is that those fields are being returned in large part either to their national oil company owners mm -hmm. uh, or they're sort of falling off the radar. And so what we're able to do is use a lot of existing technology that we have and apply it to new situations. Okay. So we're able to, uh, in, a, in an integrated fashion, manage the fields or bring all the different technology maybe that hadn't been applied in those fields mm -hmm. to bear and uh, give them new life. Okay. And is that predominantly in the United States? Or are you seeing that a lot in the international sphere as well? Actually seeing more of that maybe internationally okay. than we are here in the U.S. You know, in the U.S. tends to be dominated today by unconventionals. Mm -hmm, sure. uh, but everywhere else in the world, uh, we can pick Malaysia's a place, Mexico's another, but really throughout Latin America mm -hmm. and a lot of these older sort of, I shouldn't say older markets, but markets that have been developed for a long time, uh, these, these opportunities are everywhere. And this is, is this a more oil or natural gas or is it a blend of each what you're going into these mature fields and, and really helping further develop? It's predominantly oil. Okay. So it's resources that are in the ground that, uh, again, need to be developed or produced. And then you mentioned the unconventional plays, especially in North America, really the pioneer in, in fracking and shale resources right now. And Halliburton in there at the very beginning. And uh, a lot of your revenue does come from North America and the unconventional side. So like, if you could talk a little bit about what you've seen here in the United States and why we've been so incredibly fast to develop these shale resources versus international peers. Yeah, great question. The uh, some very unique things about the U.S. market, mm -hmm. and the first being... <clears throat> well, always have to have great rocks. Sure. We've got great rocks in the U.S. 
But then that's followed up with infrastructure. And of course, we've got you know, 75 years worth of pipeline infrastructure mm -hmm. in the U.S. that makes a market for the gas um, and the oil for that matter. Uh, and then finally, it's the service industry in the U.S. is fabulous. And of course, we've invested in it sure. for a long time, so it's a big part of our business. Uh, but the know-how and the ability to execute is available here in the U.S. as well. So when all that combines together, we're able to deliver, you know, actually a market that looks like the U.S. Mm -hmm. We don't see all of those necessarily in the rest of the markets around the world. They sure. may have good rocks, uh, but then they may not have you know, the infrastructure to deliver. Mm -hmm. Or there could be political challenges that keep those things from being delivered. Uh, so all those things come together here in the U.S. Yeah, it's fascinating to see some companies in the U.S. have more pipelines than entire countries around the world. Um, and so that obviously lends very nicely to us. But one issue we've seen in the United States with fracking is the, the reliance on fresh water. And Halliburton has taken great steps to uh, kind of tackle this issue with not only water recycling, but trying to reduce the amount of water used from the very onset of these frack wells. So can you talk about maybe some of the products or some of the, when you guys decided to start focusing on this as a key yeah. issue? Yeah, we've been focused on water for probably five years. Okay. And we look at the entire value chain around hydraulic fracturing, mm -hmm. uh, or really unconventionals. Uh, and so you know, we looked at a range of things, including how we lower our clients' costs per BOE, uh, how we help manage the logistics for our clients. And then, of course, that includes water sure. in any challenges around water. Uh, yes, we look at a range of ways to treat the water, some of them being mechanical. Mm -hmm. So you hear about our clean wave technology and yep. some things like that that are used to recycle the water. But probably the more important question around water is chemistry, and mm -hmm. it's how to use all sources of water, whether fresh or, let's say, produced or briny, brackish-type water, mm -hmm. in that process. So this is water that would be uh, discarded otherwise. So it's really... The full range of what we do around water is to uh, make the overall process more efficient. It is very expensive for these companies to truck the water in, truck the wastewater out. And one company targeted with uh, is Nuvera Environmental Services uh, about a year ago, I guess. And I was wondering if, if that partnership is still seeing some nice inroads. I know they were working a lot in the Bakken shale um, prior to this uh, partnership that was announced a little while ago. Yeah, and we, we partner with companies where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so... You know, again, it's integral to kind of our water strategy is how we work with the partners in the local markets to either transport water or be a part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, water has been uh, clearly a, a successful sort of recycling projects in, sure. the, in the Bakken. Uh, it's very important there, as it is really everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed uh, Texas and the Bakken definitely need a little bit more help that way because the Marcellus, you have all the injection wells where they can place that water. Um, and and this is an area where you've seen other companies fail, so I, th I like the fact that Halliburton has been able to really succeed in developing this technology. And then to tie it back into the week with the Offshore Technology Conference, deep water is a nice focus for Halliburton, um, which as a shareholder I'm very happy about <laughs> because I'm a big believer in the long-term uh, prospects of deep water. Talk about a lot of analysts saying 2014 and 2015 might be a, a, a struggling market for the drillers, but I think this is a 10 to 15, 20 year market and to see Halliburton get in there uh, was pretty interesting to me and coming from the Gulf of Mexico with Halliburton, I was wondering if you could provide some insights and how Halliburton's really developed over the last several years in that, in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, the, we've always called the market in deep water slow and steady. Okay. And so what we're seeing today really isn't a surprise to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for Halliburton's business, we'd expect to uh, see continued 
sort of solid growth over the next, as you described it, 10 to 15 years. Sure. And I actually see it over the next couple of years as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our commitment at Halliburton has been to outgrow that market by 25%, okay. which uh, we've certainly done over the last three years, expect to continue doing that. The, uh, the two key things that operators worry about at Deepwater are reducing uncertainty and increasing efficiency. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we focused our strategy, doing okay. those two things. What some of the products or services that you might provide that might that might increase that efficiency or, or reduce the variables as you mentioned? That I mean, a good example of that would be our ESTMZ, which mm -hmm. is called an enhanced single trip multi zone completion. Okay, I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> I'll stick with the acronym <laughs> ESTMZ, but it's great technology. And what it really does is, if you think about a, a stacked play, mm -hmm. deep water, so there's several producing zones. In order to complete those, historically an operator would have to go into the well each time and complete each zone independently, mm -hmm. taking a lot of time. Uh, our technology allows clients to basically in one trip put a tool in the hole that has sleeves that give them access to each one of okay. those zones. Now, how that saves client money is it makes it go faster. So mm -hmm. they're only a single trip going in the well and completing the entire well. It's also a very reliable piece of kit so it's uh, proven itself to be very effective mm -hmm. that way. And to tie back to the unconventional, talking about efficiency with the producers, uh, your Frack of the Future initiative has been geared towards that using less horsepower to produce the same amount of oil. So if you can maybe talk about some of the products that you're offering that you believe has really made Halliburton successful in that fracking initiative here in the States. Absolutely. The, um, to begin with our view of unconventional is Halliburton delivers the lowest cost per barrel of oil equivalent. Okay. And so that takes three sort of key components. Mm -hmm. First being surface efficiency, which is like our frack of the future technology, as well as our how vantage and things we've done in the back office and logistics, uh, but also chemistry, custom chemistry and subsurface insight are the other two legs of that stool, if mm -hmm. you will, around how we help our clients be successful in unconventionals. Now, is this a good sales pitch internationally? Because I know you guys have participated in some of the first wells in Argentina and China as well. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's other countries with the same same record, but those two jump out at me because they have some of the largest supposed shale resources for oil and natural gas. And if you could talk about how you kind of approached that international scene, because a lot of those are national oil companies, so you're not dealing with the larger um, integrated or, or the independent EMPs here in the States, but dealing with the YPF or some Chinese national companies yeah. as well. Look, we take the exact same technology overseas. Okay. The same things have been successful here in the U.S. Uh, we've got the structure and the processes in place that Halliburton allow us to deliver that same efficiency mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. Okay. And you've been opening offices all around the world pretty rapidly lately, and I was wondering if there, maybe there's some some areas that you guys have plans to op open up some operations that maybe um, haven't been uh, recorded yet? We've made a significant investment over the last probably three years in our international uh, footprint, mm -hmm. which you see in our numbers today in sure. terms of the growth. Um, and so that won't necessarily tip you off to the <laughs> next <enough>. location, <laughs> but what I will tell you is that we've opened about 50 facilities in 30 countries mm -hmm. over the last three years, spent about a billion dollars doing it. So we are ecstatic about sort of that footprint and how we grow into that. And it's, results have been showing that as it appears you guys have been taking market share from some peers internationally. And, and that's great to see because uh, about 50-50 split is from what I can imagine uh, uh, U.S. versus um, international. So great to see because U.S. is really ramping up right now and international is I think well on its way.
you could maybe talk about some constraints. You know, you talked about pipelines internationally, but um, water usage, I think that, that probably is going to translate pretty well internationally because we, even though we do have water scarcity in some regions, we have, I think, a little bit better natural resources when it comes to that. But if there's anything else that you might see internationally as kind of a constraint to developing shale resources like we have here in the United States. Yeah, and we talked about one, which is water. And mm -hmm. we're talking about fracturing in places you know, that, that there's really no water. Sure. Think about the Middle East. Throughout the Middle East, there's incredible demand for gas and unconventionals mm -hmm. throughout the Middle East today. And so the, the real technology, in my view, is how we frack with produced water, for mm -hmm. example, which historically we haven't been able to use. And that brings us right back into our wheelhouse, which is custom chemistry. Right. I, I use that word a lot, but it's, it's how we solve problems with chemistry and the ability to use water in the interior of Australia, for example, where there's no water or it's very mm -hmm. difficult to get water. Uh, same thing in the Middle East. Uh, that's a real competitive advantage for us at Halliburton. Are there any other competitive advantages that you see just right off the bat that you want people to know about if they don't already? Yeah, I mean, I would like everyone to know about how we deliver the lowest cost for BOE mm -hmm. and unconventionals. And we do it again with custom chemistry, surface efficiency, and subsurface insight, which is critical, all three of those, to how we help customers be mm -hmm. successful. And we've invested in all three of those. Uh, our newest sort of roll out a cipher, which we call it, it's our seismic to stimulation mm -hmm. process, really gives our clients insight into unconventional shales, which is brand new area, really conventional technology and understanding of how the oil moves around in shales, basically so different you throw the old stuff out the window. Sure. And so we really have a solution to that today. It's great to see the adaptability because it seems like not only is every country different, but every well in each country is different. So taking technology and kind of reformulating it to each company's needs is something that I think you guys have done really well. And I just want to thank you for the time today. I know it's a busy week and uh, don't want to take up too much more of your time, but Jeff, I want to thank you very much. That is our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow with part one of an interview that Motley Fool co-founder Tom Gardner did with William Thorndike, the author of the book The Outsiders, a book that Matt and I have talked about frequently on this show. So be sure to check in tomorrow for the first part of that interview. We'll see you then. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.